Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I'm your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm privileged to welcome a very, very tall leader from the world of insurance from USA, Australia, speaking to us today from Mexico, Mr. Gary Bennett. Gary, welcome to the show. Good morning or good evening, Ashutosh and, and, and listeners and viewers. Um, thank you very much for the opportunity. It's great to be here this morning. Thank, thank you very you. much. Thank you. Gary is the chairman and CEO of North Star Consulting Limited. He has been a very senior leader in the life insurance industry. And he was just telling me before he yeah, before we started recording that only five, six years ago, he decided to step down as chairman of one of the companies. Gary has worked all over the world. And for a person of his stature, he has been recognized, felicitated several times. So Gary, before we talk insurance, tell me a little bit about your own journey in brief. Yeah, Ashutosh, I'll try and be brief because I think as we get longer and longer on the planet, the story gets longer and longer. So I'll try and be brief. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm, and, and I use this often. I'm Australian by birth, mm -hmm. global by choice, and mm -hmm. blessed by fate. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, an I'm an Australian who hasn't lived in Australia for almost 30 years now. Mm -hmm. I joined the life insurance industry, goodness, maybe maybe 40-odd years ago mm -hmm. um, as, an as an insurance salesman in Sydney, Australia, working for um, a boutique insurance mm -hmm. business that had been initially owned by the government yeah. and then listed. And then, then I was smart enough or dumb enough mm -hmm. to volunteer for opportunities in all sorts of places. And I've been involved with licenses in Vietnam, with licenses in China, with mm -hmm. new startups in India, Vietnam, Thailand. And I've, I've built a career and a reputation over one uh, different marketplaces, um, evolving, developing, emerging markets, hmm. um, and volunteering and volunteering to go to places and building on that that fact that I loved being global, I loved building businesses, and um, hopefully I've, I've left a reasonable legacy of, uh, of people and businesses across the world. So that's Wonderful. the main... Um, that's fabulous. Actually, that's fabulous. Yeah. But tell me, Gary... Uh, You've spent a lifetime in life insurance. I'd love to get your perspective on how has life insurance evolved over the past four or five decades? You and I are of the same vintage. Mm, and yeah. what changes do you see in the coming years? Ash, this is a really, really fantastic question because I think that what we've seen, mm. um, not, not just in life insurance, but I'll, I'll focus on life insurance, is mm. this evolution of um, compliance, regulation, and much more certainty, and this is driven from a customer perspective. And mm -hmm. I think that those things, you know, if I reflect back to the early days, you know, running the first life insurance business that I ran in Melbourne in Australia, mm -hmm. uh, the, the the process, risk management, compliance, uh, corporate governance were things that were, the, there was a language that didn't exist. Mm -hmm. Now, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? I think that if we look at this from all of the various stakeholders' perspectives in, in our industry, the evolution of those things has been terrific because I think ultimately we're in business to ensure that we pay claims to customers when they're in a tough spot, whether it be whether it be a, a sad death, whether it be a disability, whether it be an injury, or whether it be our responsibility to pay mm -hmm. them you know, the, the benefits or their retirement funds or whatever. So mm -hmm. I think that that evolution of corporate compliance, governance, risk management, 
And our ability to ensure that we're doing a better job for our clients has really been the sorts of things that I've seen mm. emerge. Mm. Um, yeah, there are, Ashutosh, on, on the margin, lots of things like we're seeing, we've seen dramatically in the last two decades, the emergence of bank assurance and the mm. ability for consumers to, to be reached through their, through their bank. Um, you know, we, we've seen a proliferation of new markets and the expansion of new markets, which we believe is doing a reasonable job at reaching more and more customers to give them the opportunity to be um, looking after themselves and their family with, mm. with whether it be protection or savings. I don't think we've done a great job on that. And maybe we'll mm. touch on that later on. But I yeah. think that that's been the dramatic change mm. and that, mm. um, um, you know, the the certainty about a business that's compliant, well-governed mm. and well-managed is now mm. much stronger than what it was in the past. Mm. And a follow-up question for you is technology. You know, uh, I remember mm. when I got my first life insurance, maybe 40 years ago, my father got it. It yeah. was a handwritten yeah. little policy with, and we used to get a little slip in the mail. My question is, how is technology transforming the insurance sector? And how does it benefit the consumer? Um, Ashtosh, it's it's I think been a dramatic change. Like if you mm. if you like you're you're you and I are from a similar vintage and we Correct. remember those those old ledgers and the handwritten Correct. policies and the handwritten renewal notices, all those sorts of things. I think that, that what it's done is created a significant level of efficiency mm. um, and and the ability for uh, information and data to be stored correctly and properly. Mm -hmm. um, th like, uh, you know, I, I know having worked in a number of emerging marketplaces where people were trying to find details on old policies that mm -hmm. were lost. And, and so the organisation of information for consumers is significant. So that was the number one big thing, if you like, of the last mm -hmm. 30 or 40 years. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, what we're really seeing now is, is a range of, differentiated opportunities to satisfy customers through technology, whether that by better enabling the distribution space, mm -hmm. whether that be enabling customers to do more on their own, mm -hmm. whether that being having better data on, on customers or customer groups mm -hmm. that enable us to be more efficient in the way we do things. And the management of the, the claims process, mm -hmm. not, not just from not just from a policyholder's point of view, but with hospitals and medicos and, and health providers, all of those mm, sorts of things. Mm. Um, the, the rapid advance of technology, which often frightens people, but genuinely enables people better once we get a full grip of it, I think is mm. really what the dramatic change has been. There, there mm. is so much more to come. And I think mm. we are sitting at the, the edge of a, um, a technology revolution uh, I think we've been through some interesting times, but I think that there's an emerging and an awareness um, of, of so many more things that mm. take place to satisfy customers. And I actually touch, I think that what that will do, and I think mm. you know, this is a point, I think we've done an average job mm. over the last 200 years of reaching customers. Mm. Um, but, but I don't think we've done a great job. So yeah. technology, I think, can help us with that. Mm. But tell me, has over the years customer behavior and expectations also changed oh ab ab absolutely i think that um i think that the sophistication of uh, customers consumers um in every industry like and i'm i'm lucky now that with my north star consulting business that i touch lots of different um 
opportunities in lots of different geographic locations and we see lots of things so it's not it's not geographically or customer or industry specific mm -hmm. consumers are much smarter much more aware much mm -hmm. more enabled than they ever were before and right. i think that we you know we if you want to call them the amazon generation mm -hmm. um, or the facebook generation i think that that people are much more um, technologically enabled and do things and you know, I've, I've used this this quote often as well. There was a time when you, as an insurance salesman, might sit with somebody and they'd say, "I need to go home and check mm. with my wife or my okay. husband." Mm. These these days, um, Mr. and Mrs. Google is doing all of those things. Correct. People are using the internet to be able to review, research, um, look for information that gives them um, a, a better equipped. Mm. Um, basis to make decisions mm -hmm. on and i think mm -hmm. i think that that's that's really consumers and we want them to be like i you know i i can't believe that we should be not as transparent and open and articulate with customers as they want to be and i think that what we're finding in every industry mm -hmm. people are smarter more aware and have more access to information than they ever had before probably oh, really? sometimes we all say geez well, i've got too much information i've got an overload mm -hmm. Um, but I think that that's really the differentiator in the world that we live in. And I just think that that's going to become more and more um, commonplace. Correct. And, you know, you are one of the people, few people who has had this unique experience of having worked on insurance, both in the developed market and the emerging markets. I'd love mm. your perspective on how are these markets different? Um, Ashtosh, there's a question that was always asked to me every time I started in a new role or a new market. And people would say to me, Gary, it's different here. Uh, and I'm a, a great researcher. And again, um, I have to be to, to learn. Hmm. I think that I don't know that there is. I think fundamentally people want to look after their family. They want to educate their children as best as they possibly can. Hmm. And they want to get to a point in their third innings, once they've finished their working career or their salaried career or yeah, their yeah. you know they sell their business in that space they want to know that they can invest their money and be um, secure in the knowledge that that money is going to be safe mm -hmm. now in every market that i've operated china vietnam india sri lanka thailand the us mexico mm -hmm. those principles seem to be what lead people to want to buy insurance now mm -hmm. yes there will be you know, in, in certain places, there are different family situations. There are religious situations that that lead certain behaviours and activities. But fundamentally, those things, I want to make sure I look after my family through a protection mechanism. I want to make sure that my kids, if I've got some, are, are well-educated and I've got enough money to do that for them the best I can. Mm -hmm. And I want to get to a point in life where I can be comfortable. And if I want to sit under a palm tree or if I want to go and have a coffee somewhere, or if I want to write or read mm, a book, that, mm. I that I have enough funds securely invested to do that. And I think that um, the life insurance industry, broadly, protection, wealth creation, annuity-type products, all of those sorts of things do that. And they've done that in the 13 different markets that I've been well fortunate said. to operate in yeah. in the last 40 years. So, Great yeah. response. Thank you. And with insurance and life insurance in, in uh, particular, there is a very major role regulatory authorities play. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet they're beginning to privatize. So I'd love to get your thoughts on what is the perspective the regulatory environment has on operations and strategies of insur life insurance companies? 
look, I, I, I remember asking, I think it was my first chairman who felt that he was an Australian guy and he did terrific, an actuary, had won actuary of the year, had done some fantastic things with the business. And he wanted to be a regulator. And I said to him, why do you think you want to be a regulator? Mm. He said, to make, to make sure mm. that, cust- that customers and policyholders get a fair deal. Right. right? That, it, that if you promise to do something, that you do it. Mm. Now, it's been interesting, and I'll spend a minute on this. I've worked mm. in markets, and again, I, you know, I, I preach this to the startups that I'm involved with. Our industry is a highly regulated marketplace for that reason. We have mm. a responsibility to mm. look after and deliver on the promise in the contract. Whether that be um, investment returns, whether that be paying out a policy, whether that be paying out, you know, health benefits, whatever, we have mm. a responsibility. Mm. In the markets that I've operated in, and if I if I use this example from Hong Kong mm. through to the United States, where the spectrum of um, involvement by our regulators mm. goes from almost light touch mm. to um, cement truck touch, where there's at times, an overly regulated marketplace. Now, mm-hmm. perhaps that comes from bad behaviour or inappropriate positions, but there's there's a spectrum of regulation that takes place. Now, I think somewhere in between mm-hmm. a Hong Kong, which is if you've got enough capital, you, you can basically do whatever you like, mm-hmm. to other markets where you're looking at, at product, um, every member of the management team requires approval, um, every time you know a whole range of things that are highly and heavily regulated. I think somewhere in between there mm. is this proposition that a regulator has a responsibility um, to manage. Now, whether that be as a mutual, whether that be as a government insurer, whether that be as a listed insurer, and I, mm. you know, for, for my sins, I've worked for all of those different mm. um, uh, styles of business: mutuals, listed. Um, mm-hmm government companies, all sorts of stuff. So mm. I think that the, regula- the regulator needs to keep in mind that, one, there are a varying set of stakeholders in this business. Mm. There are people these days, and it's probably more these days, mm. where we've seen all sorts of people from private equity to individual investors mm. investing in insurance companies. Right. As long as, as long as those people are aware that this is a long-term business, it's not mm. a get-rich-quick scheme, mm. and I think I've I've been lucky enough to to give this speech often to stakeholders and shareholders. Mm. This is the business that you're in for probably 30 or 40 years once you develop a relationship with a customer. Mm. That means that there's an ongoing requirement for both capital um, and supporting a business in an appropriate manner. There'll be Mm. good years, there'll be bad years, there will be economic cycles that drive us in certain directions. Mm. There'll be catastrophes and plagues and epidemics like we've been through and I you know say so you and I have lived through some really interesting times mm. um, so I think that the regulator needs to keep those sorts of things in mind as does the insurer mm. um, and the investors and stakeholders as, as, as I say this is well said. you know not well not, not a get rich quick scheme this is yep. a this is a business of long-term commitment well said and now from the perspective of the customer or the consumer mm. uh, how does the consumer determine? which insurance company to go with because at the end of the day there are all seem to be offering similar products which are within the guidelines of the regulator yeah Ashutosh, that's that's always been a, a, a mute question because often we are all very similar hmm. um so there are there are a couple of things that that set organizations apart and these things hmm. take time and effort and commitment and money as well hmm. trust trust 
like seriously and and you know it's it's easy to say that and it's a word that's hard to quantify but building a relationship of trust with an organization and even today that we mm. know that trust relationship is built through normally um, some form of physical distribution whether it's an agent advisor or, you know consultant whatever so ensuring that there are two things one that that person well-trained, well-educated, knowledgeable in the industry, but importantly, that the organisation that sits behind that person understands the commitment and the promise that they've made both in writing and financially in mm. ensuring that that the organisation is is capitalised, is, is well-financed and does the right thing at the point of time. So, mm. you know, it's, it's, it, it's a difficult one. I, I think we're seeing more and more new and innovative insurance companies come on the marketplace and i must mm. admit i've been i've been involved in an investor in some of those in asia mm -hmm. which have done extremely well and there's a couple of new ones um on the on the horizon and some really mm. exciting places that are using technology to drive that mm. um still ultimately you've got to be certain of those two things one can i trust this organization that when the spear hits when there's a problem that they're going to pay my claim mm. and will will they be in business now that's where the regulator mm. plays a part yep. to make yep. sure that that capital adequacy that they're financially doing the right thing that they're, mm. they're that they're appropriate with the way they you know they manage and expense and support the business so mm. those things are key and at the end of the day um you know i'm sure that we could choose any number of businesses right. and and those businesses would meet that criteria mm. but um well it's, said. You know, it's, well it's, said. Yeah, yeah. But my next question is that in the you know era of increasing data and privacy concerns, mm. how does the life insurance industry or the insurance industry ensure security of their customer data? With great difficulty, mm -hmm. and I and I think and I think that this is a question that is put up often, and in the businesses that I'm involved with now, which is highly data driven and and data has, has become if you like the the new gold of the world that we live in mm. um i'm not sure that we have all the answers like i sit on on a number of um corporate boards mm. in this space mm -hmm. and it's it's a topic every single day in how you protect customer data Mm -hmm. And I'd like to tell you that there was an easy and simple way to do it. Like there are a mm -hmm. whole range of mechanisms and processes, but I, I'm not sure that that is going to happen. It's a bit like data has become the air that everybody breathes, and, mm -hmm. and if you don't breathe the air, um, you will you will die. So we're we're all whether it be through simple things like we're doing, and you you know incredible reach. So information about you and I is in the marketplace, whether it yep. be you know, through the social networks, whether it be through the the purchases that we make online, and again, as a, as a and sometimes I don't like to use this word, but as a lifetime expatriate, mm -hmm. um, we sh we shop online, we inform online, yeah. we communicate online, we family online, and that information hasn't been private Correct. to me for a long time. So Correct. I think that it, we're we're almost at a point where we need to try and convince consumers of how much data that they can release to us right. and i think once they do and this probably leads into another another scenario then i think that industry and businesses have the opportunity to personalize mm. the way they treat customers far better than what we, than what we have in the past and mm. i think we're seeing that with the sort of algorithms that come from shopping and travel and airlines mm. and i hope over time that we can be much more personalized in our offerings 
to individuals um, to make sure that, let's say this, you and I, similar generations, probably similar backgrounds, but ultimately there will be a difference between your policies and my policies. Correct. Between your longevity and my longevity, between my investment requirements and my risk and your risk. Mm -hmm. And I think that technology and data will give us the opportunity to personalise that. And in in saying that, Mm -hmm. Ashtosh, I hope that that broadens our reach to more people Mm. to be more engaged in our industry than we ever have before. Mm. Well said. So, Gary, I have time for two more questions for you. Uh, My next question is that how do insurance companies uh, incorporate ESG into their business practices? Um, This is a fascinating term because I think that that ESG has become... It's become a buzzword in every every boardroom. It has, and I think we're seeing almost an evolution of this. And in some places, I think um, we do that. Like if you look at large insurance companies, like are we reaching a section of the marketplace that has been previously unreachable? Are we um, allowing banking in places to make it easier for the unbanked? Are we insuring people um, of all different um, genders, styles, religious backgrounds. Mm. Look, I think our, our I think our industry has done a reasonable job of it, but it's again a challenge. Like I one of one of my other relationships is with an organization that's actually lending significant amounts of money to organizations in that space. Mm. So fi- finding the right places. But I you know I say this I, I think that what we all need to do mm. this is a conversation I have often with some of the startup founders that I work with. Mm-hmm. Our co- our corporate responsibility is not just to make a buck. Correct. It 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 isn't. And and mm-hmm. and maybe I become overly philosophical, or a, a true believer in this. Our responsibility is to do a whole range of different things, including mm-hmm. re- reaching markets that have not been reached. Sometimes by offering products that are that are difficult to manufacture. Sometimes by enabling the right sort of people into our business to give us an opinion and a perspective that we haven't mm-hmm. understood before. So mm-hmm. I think that we're at, at the beginning of this journey, but I do think it's it's like technology. It's an emerging, evolving Correct. opportunity. And, and and this is what I hope. I hope that whether it be, you know, the, the chief and ch- executive and chairman of the biggest insurance companies and businesses in the world or some young woman out there building a new health insurance business in the bottom end of the Indian marketplace, that they realize it's just not about making a buck. Mm. Well said. Gary, my last question to you, and this is for the thousands of people who will listen to our conversation. As a senior leader in the insurance business, what would you say are three important lessons you have learned that you would want our viewers and listeners to take away? Goodness, there there are probably so many lessons, but I think... I, I think I think the first thing that sort of resonates with me, and I and I use it often when, and I'm lucky enough to mentor mm. lots of people and advise. Um, you will make mistakes. Mm. You will make you will make mistakes. Yeah. If you think that you're per, you're perfect, there hasn't been anybody on this planet for thousands of years that that was perfect. And you will make mistakes. What 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 I've learned, and I've made a couple of doozies over my lifetime. Mm. Um, one, one, don't be frightened to ask for help. Mm. And make and make sure that you learn from those mistakes mm. because they will they will give you at least an insight on on what's next. And you know, right. I, 
So, so I think that that's important. One, one that. Um, the the second thing is that this is what whatever you think we are in a people and relationship business. Mm. And um, you know, people say to me, Gary, I can't believe how you manage to stay in touch. And um, we have incredible facilities these days to mm. ensure that our our network um, is connected. And I and I love that. Like an Ashtosh, I'm you know I'm sure that that you found me through a network, and I right. and I love that. And in, in actual fact, I had another approach yesterday, and I and I say this to everybody. Mm. I love um, networks like LinkedIn mm. because it's a business network, Absolutely. it's a con- mm. connected network, and I'm you know I'm not giving them a plug for any other reason. But I would suggest that as I built Northstar Consulting over the last. 10 years or longer and and mm. the things that I do, which are now interesting and diverse and geographically spread across five, four continents anyway, mm-hmm. um, comes out of that social network. So what I what I encourage people to do is to build their network, mm. support their people. And and forgive me for saying this, this is probably a terrible term to use on, on a podcast like this where I know we've got hundreds of thousands of people mm. listening, but, but try not to piss anybody off. Mm. If you can avoid it, like um, I'm sure that you'll think that you're right with things, be diplomatic, but but try and build a, a, a network of relationships of mm. people who trust you, who believe you, and that you haven't sort of you know well boxed said. into a corner and so forth. So I think that that's that's it. And then the last piece of advice mm. that I've given myself and I've given to others, the third piece, mm. I think volunteer. Mm. Um, now now I I know that I've been fortunate enough to to sit in opportunities that many people wouldn't have taken mm. and and i and and you know where whether actually i go back to my early cricketing days we couldn't find an opening batsman when i was a lower order batsman and a first change left arm swing bowler and i volunteered to opening open the batting mm. and and as much as i couldn't score a lot of runs they couldn't get me out so okay. i figured that being a volunteer was a terrific thing to do. And I now have, as I say, I've volunteered. I've worked in more than a dozen different countries. Mm. Um, I've had regional roles, operating roles. I've learned. I've built friendships. I've helped build businesses. I've helped make people rich. I've been, mm. um, you know, financially well rewarded for the things that I've done. And I think that volunteering and experiencing a life, this yeah. is not a dress rehearsal. This, this, is, this isn't a practice run. So, you know, they just learn, learn from your mistakes, build a fantastic network, mm. and volunteer for the opportunities that come along. Um, I think are the three key things that I've learned uh, on on my journey, and hopefully, Fair I've got some more things still yeah. to learn. Fantastic. And on that note, Gary, and your amazing lessons. Your first one you said was, "You will make mistakes. Ask for help, and uh, learn." Uh, second, you said was, "People and relationships are very important. Build networks." And third, you said, was volunteer and give back. Thank you so much for speaking to me about so many many aspects of your life, so many aspects of insurance. I learned many new things from you today. Thank you also for speaking to me uh, and drawing upon such a vast experience you have across so many different countries in four continents and sharing all your thoughts with us about the life insurance sector. Thank you again and good night. Ashutosh, thank you very, very much. And always remember that the best is yet to come. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. 
do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called you.